Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. One of our most popular guests is a guy from inner city Chicago who sees agriculture from a different frame of reference. Corey Flournoy is back, and this time we interview him inside the city limits where we discuss what urban and rural folks tend to see when they think of farming. It's an entertaining and thought-provoking look at where we stand and the challenges that remain. Before we jump into this week's edition, I wanted to highlight a couple of websites and social media channels where we are extending the message of this show. Many of you are familiar with AmericanCountryside.com. It's our daily show with stories done on location across America. I've recently noticed a lot of folks connecting to that show via Facebook and YouTube. If you've not done so, be sure to check out those social media platforms for the radio and TV versions of the show. And you might also want to check out TotaltownMakeover.com and its Facebook page as well. TotaltownMakeover.com is where we post stories about revitalizing rural and agricultural America. I hope you'll connect there as well for stories that can provide ideas that you might be able to put to use where you live. To learn more, just go to AmericanCountryside.com and TotaltownMakeover.com. You've heard Corey Flournoy on this broadcast from time to time. The feedback I get is that people really enjoy hearing from him because he brings a viewpoint that's valuable for us to see in rural and agricultural America. Corey grew up in Chicago, served as national president of the FFA, and lives in Chicago yet today. And that's where we did this interview, in the city, where we talked about the urban and rural divide and what we can learn from one another to help us all. Early in this interview, Corey mentions that he now lives in one of the nicer neighborhoods of Chicago. I wanted to put that into context. We are not talking about a gated community with lakes and 100-year-old oak trees. It's a neighborhood with a mix of houses, apartments, stores, and warehouses, and an elevated train track that runs just two blocks from his home. It's Chicago, a better part of the city than some, but as Corey is about to tell you, perhaps Chicago isn't as bad as you might think. No matter where we live, we could all use some perspective on where we call home and how we can support one another in this nation. Visiting with Corey Flournoy, and Corey and I visit every once in a while, but this is a little different because, Corey, you and I are sitting in your home in Cook County, Illinois. So let's begin there. This is your home, and in your life, this is the first time you've ever owned a home by yourself. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a first-time homeowner. and purchased a house in Andersonville, part of Chicago, um, ranked as one of the best neighborhoods to, to live in the United States. Um, and I, yeah, I bought a multi-unit home with tenants, and I am learning what it means to be a, homo- a homeowner. <laughs> so give people an idea. In this neighborhood, you have a mix, it looks like, of apartments and single-family dwellings and so forth. But if there is such a thing as an average home in, in this type of neighborhood, about how much are we talking about to, to purchase a home here? So the average price of a home probably is anywhere from 500000 to a $1 million dollars. So it's, it's a range, but um, a lot of new homes, um, new construction, or a home like mine is over 100 years old, but it's a pretty nice-sized house, for at least for Chicago. And so people can't see this, but I would say you and I were visiting earlier. Nice home, but you probably put this in some of the counties where people are listening to us from half that, if that. So you certainly pay a premium to live where you do. 100%, yeah. It's a two-unit home, two baths, two bedrooms in each unit. Yeah, it's, it's up there. I mean, I won't say how much it costs, but you can find out on Zillow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a home that even on, not just in, if it was in a rural area, if, I, if this same house is on the south side of Chicago, it would be half the price. 
part of the conversation we sometimes have then is simply about work ethic and hard work and that with hard work and determination, all of us can achieve great things. I think we agree those are certainly great virtues and great characteristics to have, but you help us see some things that perhaps we don't, especially when we think about urban versus rural. Each has its unique characteristics, of course, but talk more about this as far as growing up in an urban environment and hard work and using that hard work to get you somewhere. Let me start by saying I, I recognize that I am blessed and I've had very unique, different opportunities than most black kids who grew up in Chicago have had, right? Yes, I'm a product of a single parent home. And in a lot of ways, my, my story towards where I am did not does not make sense of how I've had just certain opportunities and things like that. So, um, so I am not a believer that by simply working hard, you get the opportunity that you'll just make it there, right? Um, it does, it has to be having not just good jobs, but jobs where you have opportunities for promotions and growth. Um, there are a lot of people who work hard who never move up. Um, and I've yet to work in a company where the representation of people of color or women at the high levels match the entire population, right? And so it is not a guarantee by working hard, um, working smart, that you have opportunities. Um, I literally have a, a consulting business in addition to my full-time job where I work with companies like Sony Music Entertainment. I worked at Groupon to actually help people of color and women learn what they don't, to know what they don't know that's required to help them get to the next level and to actually recognize that one of the things that keeps a lot of um, minorities and others are actually managers. If you don't have a manager who is supportive, who thinks about some of the additional challenges you encounter, or in some cases they create the challenges to keep people from getting there, you, you won't make it there. And so it is not an even playing field like people think it is. So I wanted to talk further about something you just said that it People believe that just if you work hard, these things happen. And you said that's not necessarily the case. And I think you'd agree we could even take race out of this because we could look at lots of different people, whether they're white, black, Hispanic, whatever, and say, if you just worked harder, you could achieve that. But the answer you just gave me, you seem to say that's not necessarily the case. So tell me about that. I mean, I just use corporate America. At our, at our core, we tend to connect and engage with people who are most like ourselves. And so... When it comes to who gets mentored, who gets, has a sponsor, someone who actually, hey, Andrew, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do this, this stretch project. People, we tend to help people who are most like ourselves. And so that alone creates an inequity when it comes to who has opportunities for growth and, and to, to make it to the next level. You always hear terms like the glass ceiling and those kind of things. There is a belief that um, you're good enough to get to this level, but not to the next level. You know, I, I do a lot of work and research in this space of recognizing, and not just in our country, around the world, that we have this thought that people from certain communities, um, people take race, gender, sexual orientation, whatever, that sometimes to be part of these groups means that you're not as good or, or don't have the same abilities as others who are part of the majority groups. And those things also contribute to people sometimes not progressing. So what was the case for you? Was it just fortune? I have to think it was more than fortune, but what got you to where you are? So what has gotten you where you're at? I mean, part of it, it I do work hard, right? So I I have, I have, you know, a drive that has caused me to have a full-time job, teach at Northwestern University, and have a consulting business, right? So those things can contribute to somewhat of having, um, you know, a better financial uh, opportunity. But um, I think 
what has made the difference is I have been fortunate at times in my life to meet the right people who have helped giving me opportunities and doors that not common. For instance, I was in education for nine and a half years teaching at the University of Illinois. I wanted to get back in corporate America. Eventually, it was someone who I had worked with years ago as an intern who was then the chief strategy officer of an ad agency in New York City who I reconnected with. And through those conversations, I landed back in corporate America in a global vice president position. Those connections, those things make a difference. Doesn't mean I wasn't qualified. No, I had the qualifications and everything else, but it truly is about relationships and connections and we tend to, again, have connections with people who are more like us. And that can make the difference between someone being stuck in their career and someone progressing at a much faster rate. So you, of course, live here in Cook County, uh, Illinois, Chicago. And you just talked about, you know, starting from <laughs> meager roots, single family, uh, single parent family. Compare some of the struggles of growing up in Chicago to perhaps some of the struggles growing up in rural America, because you were out in rural America a lot. You're speaking out there. Is it similar, the path that somebody has to take if they live in rural America versus urban America to, to work their way up and, and accomplish something more? Or do you think the path is, is different? Because you, in a sense, have seen both paths, and you've certainly lived the path in the city of Chicago. I think everyone has their own unique story. So um, I think the, pover- the, the path out of poverty is it's combination, right? It's hard work. It is opportunity because sometimes being in a rural community, you don't have opportunities to get out of poverty because there's just not employment opportunities. A lot of people have to leave their home community to actually find jobs that actually pay well. So I think there's a combination of different factors to make a difference. Um, what I would say is I think it is helpful for people to recognize that people who are in poverty overall are people, not people who just choose to be in poverty. Um, a lot of it is you don't know what you don't know. Again, like if, if you grew up in the family cycle of your parents didn't have a lot of money, they didn't have great education, they chose, they ended up in jobs that were low paying wage, there is a great likelihood that you're going to follow that same pattern unless you're exposed to something different. That's true for urban communities as well as rural communities. And so even when we talk about government programs, I think people believe that other people get handouts, whereas we deserve it. In truth, everyone has their own story. And I, I just help hope that we as a society can recognize that there are people who need assistance sometimes to get to the next level uh, or to get out of certain situations. And just because one group needs it doesn't mean that they're any more deserving or less deserving than another group. You have a lot of conversations with people in a sense all over the nation, but certainly some of the, I think, more interesting conversations are those in rural areas as, as you from an urban area begin to have these discussions. If there are some misconceptions, uh, what are the most common misconceptions people in rural America that you encounter have about, in a sense, Cook County, uh, Illinois, where you grew up? What is it that we believe is the case that you'd say, well, you know, you really need to know this? There's a long list. <laughs> <laughs> One of them you start with is just crime and crime and poverty. Um, I have, I have a friend right now visiting from um, San Francisco who his parents and grandparents were warning him, like, be careful going to Chicago because you're going to be shot and all those kind of things. And, and, and believing that you know, sometimes what you hear in the news is only the bad things that happen and they don't happen every day into all communities, right? And so I think there is a this misconception that you know, urban areas like Chicago are just, you know, you walk in, you're going to, you're not, you're not walking out alive. That's just not true. The vast majority of the city is as safe as some of the communities. In fact, per capita, Chicago is not in the top 10 of cities with crime, at least not in murders. So that's one. Um, other, other misconceptions I think people have is that, you know, all tax dollars and goes to support these cities and the rural communities are forgotten. 
cities like Chicago have a much higher tax rate than a lot of other, a lot of other places. And also urban cities pay more into the tax system. So it also makes sense that they would get a lot more out because that's where the income is coming from. So I just encourage people. Um, the best advice I can get, tell people is to, to develop relationships with people who are not like yourselves. Um, cause that's where misconceptions and these biases start to break is to recognize that sometimes what we hear and what we read isn't founded in truth, but developing friendships like the one you and I have becomes an education for, for both sides. A conversation you've been having recently with a lot of different groups and let's say even ag organizations that would be mostly rule based is they say, okay, I value what you're saying in your message, but I don't have uh, these folks to connect with. I can't put them on my board. I can't employ them because these people, in a sense, don't exist, whoever those people are that I need to connect with and so forth. And again, we're talking about more than just race. It could be people from different backgrounds and socioeconomic and everything. So what do you, in turn, tell them whenever you hear that? I tell people to think about what experience or perspective is missing from your board or your organization and recognize that may require you to have to go outside of your own community or even your own industry. Um, when I think about some of the greatest boards that are able to help companies to be successful, they're not made up of boards who come strictly from that industry or strictly from that same place, right? And so it requires a little bit more effort, but thankfully with um, technology and there are so many different groups and things that have been established to act, can actually connect you with people that you don't know personally in your own community. Um, so take some time. It's, it's, it's an investment to recognize that when you get stuck in a small tunnel of thinking that this is all you have, all you have access to, that you're really doing your own self a disservice. This may sound too cynical, but why do the extra work? Because it's so easy for us not to do the extra work. So what is it that people gain from doing that work? The most successful businesses are the ones who bring in people who, who are outside the industry, who have a different perspective. Like you can choose to do the easy route. But the better route is I'm a better person because I know you, right? Because you have a different background. You grew up, you grew up seeing the world differently. The different perspectives are, are what makes co companies and organizations more successful and keeps companies from making some costly mistakes. And I have, I have personally witnessed even a company I worked in who um, had a, a, I'll just say a deal that was going to go public that everyone involved missed the cultural sensitivity that probably would have caused a lot of bad press for the company had it gone public, but because of my experience, particularly in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion, I was able to keep the company from making a very costly mistake. And it was because they had lacked diversity of the people in the room when making that decision. You mentioned DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Some people in farm circles now are hearing more about that because the companies, the, and this is outside of agriculture too, obviously, but agribusiness companies are now talking about DEI and I will say that some people, I, they may roll their eyes or say, why are we spending time with this? So why are companies spending time with this? Why are you advising companies in agribusiness now about DEI? And why should a farmer care about DEI whenever they're out there growing crops or livestock? Well, I'll start with, you know, the great part of the success of the agriculture industry is dependent on urban areas. Um, most a lot of corporations for ag companies are based in, in urban areas. And one of the problems that I, how I ended up in the agriculture industry back in 19, the year is not important, was that they saw a great need as you thought about companies like Kraft and, you know, pick any major food company that's in a large city. They have a hard time finding people who understand agriculture to work in those companies. And so 
the, the investment of making certain that people in urban areas can take jobs like that is important because uh, companies have had, ended up hiring people from other countries <laughs> to work in the companies because we have a lack of people who, who, don't, who have the experience and understanding, right? And so um, diversity, equity, inclusion is important because first of all, the inclusion piece, it isn't enough just to get diversity in the door, but to make certain that if you get diversity, they feel like they belong there. And then it's, it is much more harmful for a company to almost not have diversity than it is to bring in diversity and they leave thinking it was a horrible experience and telling others not to come there. Then equity is going back to our earlier part of this conversation is the realization that not everyone has the same opportunities. Um, not everyone has the same experience. And so sometimes we have to fix the system and help other, help make things better by recognizing that there are things that make that are unfair, there are challenges. And until we make those things right, we're going to continue to see loss of opportunity and people just not being successful. We've spent some time talking about how folks in rural America may view urban America. I'm interested. How does urban America view rural America and where some of us are, are farming out here? I think that's a complicated question. <laughs> um, I think one thing is that people, a lot of people are getting their image about what rural America is from TV and movies. And so whatever image you see on TVs and, and TV and movies can cause some of that um, misconception that there may be different levels of education or understanding of the world. Uh, second is, if we're really honest, politics is tied very much to um, rural versus urban. Um, so it, it is overall the theory that in rural areas you're going to find more conservative mindsets and conservative ways of seeing the world. Um, and people who are in urban areas overall tend to be more liberal or more democratic part. And so I think there's definitely a great need for understanding of why people have the beliefs they believe, how much of it is based in fact versus what they read on newspapers or see on TV, and how do you help people to recognize that at the end of the day, if these different groups within our country do better, we all do better as a country. And we have to get beyond the philosophy of believing that if you win, if you get something, I lose. I think we have the ability for all of us to win by working together and caring about each other. Have we seen much change in a positive direction of urban versus rural understanding one another since the time you were elected as a national FFA president? And I believe it was 1994 that made headline news across the country. Young African-American guy from Chicago is the first president, national president of the FFA. Have we gotten better since then or worse since then? Or maybe it is both, and it just depends where you look. Yes, I think that's a complicated question as well. I I think um, most of us thought we were doing better as a country um, and that we had made advances and that, you know, you were seeing greater diversity of people achieving more. Um, and then I think in recent years, we've seen other sentiments come to light that I don't know that the world changed. I just think that things that people thought they say out loud more than they used to. So I don't know that things have gotten better or worse when it comes to um, race relations or when it comes to understanding rural versus urban, uh, all these other issues. I just think that people are just more um, probably a little bit more open about how they feel these days than they used to be. And is that a plus or a minus? I don't know. I mean, for me personally, I am happy to know where people stand. Um, I, I'd much rather know your true feelings than to think someone who's an ally who's not. <laughs> At the same time, um, I think we can do a better job of truly leading, leaning more into education. 
uh, people understanding what is true versus what is just something that's said on a te- television program or people reading a local paper um, that may not be based in fact. Um, I think we have gotten some ways in both sides of believing that and the other group is trying to get over or take more than they deserve or, you know, this program is is a handout. And, you know, in truth, everyone is doing some of the same things. It's just the belief that when it's the other side, it's different than when it happens for me. <laughs> so uh, I hear in the, in the urban, I, I, unfortunately, I would say urban communities probably don't give much thought to rural communities. That is true. I mean, like, I don't think in our in the daily lives, most urban people, they even give thought to what's happening in communities outside their own. I think in rural communities where, again, sometimes there are lower budgets and lower opportunity, I think there is this belief that, you know, certain communities and certain people are getting undeserved opportunities, which may not be based in truth. So how do you overcome that then? That's part of your job today is it's got to be more than talk. It's got to be action. And you've said there's certainly value in doing that. So how do you help people then make it more than just lip service? Well, first it starts with doing your own work. Um, I think you have to come to terms with how you really feel and what you, what you, what you really believe. Uh, we live in a society where no one wants to be called biased or prejudiced. Um, but yet everyone could think of a situation where like, well, this person's not biased, but they said it did this, right? And you're like, well, that's a bias. <laughs> that's, that's, that is actually problematic. Um, and, and recognize it's not a bad, horrible thing to be a person with bias. We all have biases. We all have prejudice. Um, but until you name it, you can't change it. Until you're willing to understand and recognize that you have certain beliefs and they're real, then it, it, it actually negates you from even taking responsibility for it. Um, one of the things I, I work with people is about understanding your own culture. And I've been told that people of the dominant culture don't believe they have culture. Like, I'm, you know, I don't have culture. And like, we all have culture. But to believe you don't means that you kind of escape yourself from the responsibility of how your culture impacts others. So we visit regularly about these type of topics on the radio. Uh, what is a topic that you've encountered lately that uh, you seem to be answering uh, more than other topics uh, out there? Is there one that you have as a favorite that you want to work in before we wind up here today? I think the topic that I have discussed more is I think people recognize, have a greater recognition that their, their communities, their organizations, their companies are not where they want it to be. And I think companies will like a quick fix and at the root of all of these things is behavior change and behavior change is not easy because um, behavior change requires you first to believe that is important to change um, and until you believe that it is um, urgent enough to, to actually dedicate time and energy things will never change and so it's great that you and I have conversations like this because I think these are starters but it requires a greater level of, of bringing people together to make a decision that we want something to be different. We're willing to do the work and we're going to bring people along in this path. It is not the responsibility of whatever minority group it is to make change in the world. Um, in fact, change must involve people who are in power, who are part of the dominant groups. Um, if rural communities are suffering and your state is run by people who are all in big, large urban areas, they have to be the ones to get together to help decide we're going to invest in rural communities, right? Um, and so that's the same same for any any kind of situation. Um, I think recently um, that there's been an investment in um, providing internet to rural communities and doing a better job of filling that gap, right? 
and it took the majority of of legislators who are not in rural communities to believe it's important enough to make that investment. So those are how that's how changes happen. I always appreciate the conversations. I always appreciate uh, um, the opportunity to come back and have another conversation. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside. And remember, you can always go to farmingthecountryside.com or those podcast platforms to hear these shows and past shows on a variety of topics. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside.